you would turn with me the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 25, Matthew chapter 25. Starting there in verse 1 of Matthew chapter 25, verse 1. Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins, which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. And five of them were wise, and five were foolish. And that that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessel with their lamps. While the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh. Go ye out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said unto the wise, Give us of your oil, for our lamps are gone out. But the wise answered, saying, Not so, lest there be not enough for us and you. But ye go rather to them that sell and buy for yourself. And while they went out to buy, the bridegroom came. And they that were ready went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. Afterward came also other virgins, saying, Lord, Lord, Open to us. But he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I know you not. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning, and Lord, I I confess to you that I sinned against you, that I have failed you. Lord, with my sins confessed, I know what your word has said and what you've promised, that I'm I'm able to come straight to the throne room. And Lord, I pray this morning that I would not fail you. That you would move on me, that I would be decreased, that you may be increased. Lord, I pray for the moving and the anointing of the Holy Spirit upon me. I pray for your authority and your power that I may preach this morning. So, Lord, you move on us. You move in our midst. I pray that Satan be barred from this place in the name of Jesus Christ. I pray that I would be uh, shielded, I would be protected behind the cross this morning. That you would be exalted. I pray that the Holy Spirit would move in such a great and mighty way that we couldn't even imagine. We don't even know how to ask for it. And that's what I ask for. Something that's beyond my imagination. You move as you see fit. Lord, I pray today that I would preach as if this were my last sermon. And those who receive it would receive it as it could be their last to ever hear. You give us that heart. 
It's in Jesus Christ's name I ask it. Amen. Are you standing ready? We see in this story here, uh, look there in verse 1, Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened to ten virgins which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. Now we know this is a parable of Jesus Christ is given, and a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Well, what's the meaning of it? Well, here's the meaning of it. Are you standing ready this morning? We've seen the last verse that we read in verse 13. says that none of us know when the groom's coming. You don't know the time. You don't know the day. You don't know anything about it when the Son of God will come back for God's people. Are you standing ready this morning? I'm going to talk to you just a moment about a Jewish wedding. When there's a marriage been arranged, when a marriage is arranged between a man and a woman, uh, the custom of Jews was given to them by God, so it's always going to represent God. The Jews have not a custom that doesn't show you Jesus Christ or God the Father if they don't have one, because they're God's chosen people. Well, what happens in that is this uh, marriage has been arranged. And what happens is, is the father of the bridegroom says, Son, I need you to start building on my home. Usually it's an apartment built upon the home of the fathers. And he starts building. Well, what happens in that, since there's no cell phones, there's no way to have any communication, see this bride, she hears that building taking place. She knows that there's a building going on. She knows that the bridegroom is preparing a home for them. And he continues to build. He continues to build. And it's not how long the groom decides to build. It's actually on the father tells the groom it's time to go get your bride. And when that happens, he's built on, he may have just had the house in the dry good, and the father will say to him, son, go get your bride. And she's got all of her bags packed. She's waiting. She knows that time is coming near. She knows time is coming, that the groom is coming to get her. She's got all the bags packed there, set beside the door. She's got this lamp, so if he comes in the middle of the night, she'll be able to see him, and she'll run out and meet the groom. The groom will gather up when the father tells him to go. He gathers all of his friends up. They come in here and there's a big racket. It's a cry going on. And it's saying, here he comes. Here he comes. And she hears that. And she wakes up or wherever she's at, she grabs all of her bags. And she runs out to meet him. They go back into that home and for seven days they consummate marriage. Inside that home. If something needs to be told to the son, the groom at this time, you can't get to him. You have to go to the father. Because no one can talk to him for seven days as they consummate marriage. That's the custom of marriage in the Jews' eyes. Boy, that sounds a lot like what Jesus looks like, doesn't it? He steps out to meet his bride. Seven years we consummate marriage during that great wedding feast. So we're seeing that picture laid out here before us. But in this story, there's something different about it. The first point that I want us to look at this morning is the possibility of deception that you may have. There's a possibility today that there's a deception that many have. Look there with me in verse 2. It says, and five of them were wise and five were foolish. 
What does this mean to us? Well, it means this. You couldn't tell the difference in them. You know, they look alike. They look the same. So that meant that they may be singing in the choir and they may be standing side by side in the church, the saved and the lost. They could be standing right beside each other. They may be sitting on a pew beside you right now. I'm going to tell you as the Lord gave me this sermon and as I prayed over it, the Lord told me there's at least one person here this morning that's lost that thinks they're saved or telling everybody that they are. I know without a shadow of a doubt he's told me that. So are you standing ready this morning? You see, these people, they looked, these ten virgins, they looked identical. There was no way for mankind or the human eye to distinguish a difference between them. They sat beside each other. They went to the same Sunday school classes together. They went to the same Sunday school socials. They sang in the same choir. They sat on the same pews. But they weren't ready. Half of them wasn't ready. Are you standing ready? this morning you see you couldn't tell a difference look there with me in verse 3 I want you to see what the foolish do here and they were foolish and they that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them I want to talk to you about this a minute they took no oil with them What this is saying here, this oil that it's being talked about here is the Holy Spirit. What happens for an individual to be saved is this. For an individual to come to a a place in their life that they say, you know what, I need Jesus, it takes the drawing and the convicting of the Holy Spirit of God. He has to be there. And what he does, he moves in here and he starts quietly talking to someone and he's telling them, you need Jesus. The Holy Spirit will always lead us to Jesus and show us this lost condition in our life. And at that time, that's when that individual says, yep, I'm lost. When that drawing of the Holy Spirit is upon them. And then they cry out for Jesus and Jesus shows up and saves you. That's the way it happens. If it didn't happen that way in your life, you didn't get it. So that's what happens. And uh, also after that, uh, that time that you've accepted Christ, what happens? The Holy Spirit moves in you. He fills you up. That's what He does. You remember when you got saved, how overflowing you felt? You remember that? Remember that time? You know what that was? That was the, uh, uh, the encompassing, the uh, moving in, the occupying of the Holy Spirit. And the reason that you wanted to go tell everybody that you'd been saved, see, the Holy Spirit was working in you. That oil was flowing over. It was bubbling up. It wanted to show the light. You know, a lamp can't burn unless it's got oil, right? And if you and I are not the light, who's the light? You see, it's the filling of the Holy Spirit that will show us every time to bring Jesus out in our lives. For He's the light. But without that oil, there will be no light. And you're lost. Without it. You see, they professed with their mouths, these foolish virgins, these lost. They professed with their mouths that they, uh, they knew who Jesus was. Man, they looked like everybody else. They could walk down the street and say, Oh, they attend Calvary Baptist Church. They're saved. They talk about Jesus. But it was only through their mouth. You see, they wasn't occupied, they wasn't possessed. 
inhabited of the Holy Spirit because it was just Jesus here. I've heard my wife say that uh, when she thought that she was saved, the first time she was just head saved, she wasn't heart saved. Well, that's what comes from the mouth from here. But what comes from here is something totally different. Here's a thing it says in verse 4. But the wise took oil in their vessel with their lamps. What that's telling us is there should be a difference in us. Let me say this. I'm going to ask you something real personal this morning. If you proclaim to be saved, are you changed? Are you changed? Has something happened that changed you? Things that you used to enjoy, you can't enjoy anymore because of the conviction that comes upon it. That's because Holy Spirit's there. Can't occupy that spot. There will be a conflict that takes place. As we sang these songs this morning. No, I'm not a big music person. I'll be the first to tell you. I listen to very little radio anymore. Someone well, uh, done Miss, uh, Alan and Haley's wedding yesterday and they said, well, you're going to go into this song. I didn't have a clue what song that was. I've not heard anything new. So I listened to, if I'm going to listen to something, it's going to be from the 80s. Just going to be honest with you. But yet I look at all these singers, country music, and then I hear things from the church. And I'm going to give you this example. I want you to get this. We'll say to the worship leader, Man, I've never heard that song before. No one there knew it. You're going to have to start singing some stuff that we know so we can all participate in it. But Kenny Chesney get a song that you never heard and you run to Walmart to see if you can get the CD so you can listen to it more. Something's wrong with that, isn't it? Something's wrong with that picture there. I'm going to tell you what's wrong with it. You and I should be so filled with the Holy Spirit as we sing those old hymns or those songs that glorify Christ, speak of the blood that redeemed us from a lost, dying condition, and something ought to be stirred in us to drive us towards worship. That's what should happen within God's people. Have you been changed this morning? Is there a change in your life? Today. But also we see in this story there's a passing of time here. And I believe this is a dangerous thing. Those that were saved get saved. Boy, the Holy Spirit's moving. Their their lamp's full. They get that light uh, can come off of that burning of that oil. But then the passing of time comes. And it's the same for those that are not lost. They think, well, I walk down with everybody else. I said what they wanted me to say, yeah, I think that I'm saved. And in the passing of time, they convinced themselves of something that truly never happened. Look there in verse 5. While the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. Mm. Now remember, we're talking about saved and lost here. Remember that? We've got five that are wise and five that are foolish, but it says they all 
slumbered and slept. Slumbered means a, a negligent state. Sleep means exactly what it is. They're asleep. Knowing that the bride's groom is coming, they all slept. They all slept. The foolish, in this passage of Scripture, the lost, look like the wise, the saved. Right? That's what it's showing us here. But when I read verse 5, I'm going to show you something that's pretty pitiful here. I'm going to show you something that shows us the way that we are. While the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. Let me say this. The wise, the saved, look just like the foolish lost. See that? Now it's bad enough for an individual to take something personal is that you look over and say, you know what, I'm lost. Okay? Well... That's pitiful. That they attend church, they go through all the motions, they do all the things that everyone else does, they look just like everyone else does, but they're actually lost. But I'm going to tell you what's truly sad in this, is when the saved look like the lost. You see that in that? Let me tell you what that is. Then we're going to look at this in the church spectrum. We're going to look at this as Calvary Baptist Church. Calvary Baptist Church, we must have a vision. A church without a vision is slumbering, sleeping, or already dead. We must have a vision. We should allow the Holy Spirit to move in our lives. You should be praying for your church, praying for yourself, praying for me that God will use us in a great and mighty way that we would never one time look like the lost. That we would look like we have found something, a greatest gift that has ever been given to mankind, and we would broadcast that Jesus saves That's what we should look like. So I'm going to say this. Calvary Baptist Church, we need to wake up. We've been slumbering too long. We've been asleep too long. You can say, oh no, well we come in here, we sing, we smile, we shake hands, we amen sometimes during the sermon. Let me tell you this. Does this world see that in your life? I'm going to tell you we need to be revived at Calvary Baptist Church. Something needs to happen in each and every one of us this morning that know Jesus Christ. We know Him through the free pardon of sin that He's afforded us through His death, burial, resurrection, and ascension on the cross. And we need to get that all stirring in there with the Holy Spirit. And then we need to have a light that's lit and Jesus Christ been showed through our life. Now a lot of us will say, and I've addressed this this week, well, let me tell you, Brother Gary, I invited them to church. Woo! Boy, I done good. Boy, Jesus showed through me this week. I invited them to church. Let me tell you this. The Holy Spirit's never asked you to invite anybody to church. Cannot make me believe that. That's not what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit will always, to the saved, put the saved where the lost are. He'll always draw the saved to what Christ would want of us. He always shows us what God wants. So what you do is, when you invite someone to church, you say, I'll tell you what, boy, I escaped that. I'm going to carry them and let my preacher witness to them from the pulpit. Because I'm just slumbering around here, I'm going to neglect that part of my life. I'm going to neglect 
Telling them about the Jesus that lives within me and the Holy Spirit that moves upon me and the love of God and what He's done for me. I'll let my preacher do that. Let me tell you this. You do not pay my salary. My salary comes from God's tithes and offerings. And another thing is this. I am not here to do your soul winning for you. I have my own to do. You do yours. Wake up and quit stumbling around and neglecting what God has told us to do. That's what God said. When we don't, we'll look just like the lost. Lord, help us. Lord, help us. Wake up, Calvary. But look there in verse 6. I want you to see this sudden separation, this midnight cry. And at, the midnight, there, uh, and at midnight there was a cry made. Behold, the bridegroom cometh. Go ye out to meet him. All of us have heard that song, Midnight Cry. Well, I'm going to tell you, it's not doctrinally right. Gabriel's not the one who sounds the call. That's the archangel, Michael. Uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16, I tell you that. So if you sang the song, just throw Michael in there and take Gabriel out, because that's not doctrinal. But I want to tell you something about this. I'm going to tell you what the rapture is going to look like. What I know of the rapture through the reading and the studying of God's Word and God's Holy Spirit as He's moved in my life revealing to me what the rapture is going to look like. Well, the Word of God says that there's going to be a trumpet sound. It's going to be a time of victory. And if it happens today, this old hard, dried up ground in South Arkansas is going to crumble up as God's Son, Jesus Christ, steps out to get God's people and the dead in Christ are going to come from the grave to be reunited with the soul. That's going to happen. But then, as that's going on, as soon as those bodies come from that grave to be reunited with their soul and that body be made perfect, those who remain shall be caught up in the air. If there's a pilot on a plane today and he knows Jesus Christ is his Lord and Savior and when Jesus shows up, he's leaving the cockpit. You better hope the co-pilot's on there if you're not standing ready. Interstate today. People going down the interstate that know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior just going to leave. Vehicle just go on the way that it was. You know, that's pretty chaotic, isn't it? It's pretty scary in itself. But I'm going to tell you something that's more frightening to me than anything else. You want to see a panic. You wait till if there's a mother sitting somewhere and she could be sitting in church and Jesus Christ comes back and she's not standing ready. She's nine months pregnant. Her stomach's big with that baby and that stomach goes away. As that mother walks into a crib and looks down to see where her child is, she wasn't standing ready, and he's gone. And daycares emptied. Classrooms gone. Are you standing ready? Well, there's a price of neglect. There's a price of neglect. Look there in verse 8 with me. And the foolish said unto the wise, Give us of your oil, for our lamps are gone out. 
And I'm going to tell you this, you can't borrow this oil. The oil that's given here has nothing actually to do with you except your repentance and your calling upon the name of the Lord. That's all it has. You can't give it away. You can't lose it and you can't get it outside Jesus Christ. You can't borrow this oil. See, they thought somewhere, these foolish thought, well, you know what? My mama was saved. So I should be able to borrow. Boy, my daddy was a good man. I should be able to borrow it somewhere. Man, I was raised in a Christian home. That should account for something. I'll just borrow someone else's oil. No, you won't. No, you won't. This oil that is given to you is the Holy Spirit that has come into your life after accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You can't borrow it, you can't buy it, and you can't lose it. It's God-given. And then in verse 10, the, the price of this neglect, when they thought, well, we can't borrow it, what are we going to have to do? So they tell, they tell them to just go out. Go buy some. Just go buy you some. Go get you some and bring it back. But by the time they got back, look what happened in verse 10. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and they were uh, all, uh, that were already uh, went and, uh, with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. They get back, and the door shut. You remember Noah, the ark, Noah preaching. Right at a hundred years. That there's a door. Judgment's coming. Get on the boat with us. And I believe that probably during that time that Noah probably made some somewhat friends with these people. And I believe he pled with them, come get on the boat with me. God's judgment's coming. Just believe God. Just believe God and no one but his uh, sons and their wives, his wife and himself was on the boat. And I can imagine as that rain or as that water started rising up before it started floating that boat and God had done shut that door up, that door of opportunity had been closed. No one could open it except Him. No one could close it but Him. And I can just imagine as that water started to rise, as the, uh, the, uh, the price of neglect had came upon those people and they were knocking at the door. Knocking at the door saying, Noah, let me in. But Noah didn't control the door. And God's judgment was poured about upon that people. Because of their neglect. Are you standing ready this morning? I made a comment this morning, and I hope I explained this to where no one misunderstands me. As I think upon my salvation, I remember clearly uh, on a Saturday night. What my daddy asked me about if I thought that I ever done anything to separate me from God. And at that point in time, I remember the conviction that came upon me. And I remember saying, yes, I do. And then I remember him telling me, why don't you just ask Jesus to forgive you of those sins, come into your life and save you. 
And I remember doing that. That was two minutes of my entire life, 50 years. Today, if you're basing everything of your life on remembering two minutes of your life, which you were saved in, don't get me wrong, follow me now. Maybe you need to see what you've done since those two minutes. Look at the change since then. Brother Jimmy, I'm to look more like Jesus tomorrow than I did today. Amen? I need to look at what's happened since those two minutes to see if I really got what I thought I got. I need to really look into my life and say, well, how has God used me? How have I been used for God? I fear today that so many people base their entire eternity on two minutes of their remembering and they've never done one thing to serve God since. You know how you can tell if you're saved? You'll bear fruit. That's what God says. And yes, you can be saved during that two minutes of time. The reason that we doubt our salvation, you know why? It's because we have to go back and say, well, I was nine years old. It was summertime. It was an evening service. Can't remember the preacher. Boy, I sure wish I could. And I walked the aisle and I got saved right then. And then we've done nothing since. Not one thing have we done to serve Christ. Not one thing have we done by allowing the Holy Spirit to move in our lives. Not one thing have we done since then. And we start doubting if we truly were saved then. Well, I tell you this. If you're doubting this morning what you've done, you need to come up here and just get it right. And if you were right that time, it won't matter. Are you standing ready? It doesn't matter what your daddy done with Jesus or your mama. It matters what you've done with Jesus. Are you standing ready today? What have you done with Jesus? Dear Heavenly Father,